We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. So good morning, as Chris said, I'm from, uh, my name is Toby, I work for uh, Compassion uh, full-time. I also have the privilege of leading a worship team at Grace Church in Chichester, another commissioned church, and through that I obviously know Chris, but I've got to know James and a bunch of your worship team, and I genuinely feel like I'm among family and friends this morning, so it's uh, just really lovely to, to be with you, I mean that sincerely, even just from the commission link, if nothing else, but genuine friends here. Oh yeah, definitely. Shall I go behind the speakers? Will that help? Let me go behind the speakers. Okay. That do? There we are. Okay, cool. So, um, what I want to do, there's a few things to to go through this morning, and yes, we are going to be working through Mark uh, chapter 8, sort of 1 to 30, which is a a decent chunk, but I I really am going to spend a bit of time on that, so do be ready with that. Um, But also, um, it would be a shame if I missed some amazing things you are doing as a church with regards to the children you sponsor with Compassion. So for those that are unfamiliar, Compassion are a child sponsorship charity, so individuals get alongside um, children in other countries that desperately need help and they are able to support them with financial aid as well as building a relationship with them in medical care and things like that. So... Uh, let's see if the clicker works. There we go. So in the last year, bearing in mind this is a pandemic year, so uh, just take this all as a, as a bit of an extra excellence because of the changes we've had in this country. Um, over um, 2,200 nutritious meals have been provided for these children. If you think of that over the course of a year, that's many children being uh, blessed. I wonder, did the first slide actually say how many? No, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, 50 medical checkups from visiting health professionals. Um, there is a larger version of this PowerPoint that will come round as well. Um, I'm giving you some snippets, but there's a bit more information to come. And the one I love, and I always love this one the most, is bottom right, 19 Bibles given to children um, who are going to the projects. That means that uh, as Chris has just offered you all a Bible, uh, we are doing the same for children uh, because we believe the Word of God is powerful and transforms lives. And moreover, that these are children in dire need with no hope who are seeing the Word of God in front of them, the hope that they can read for themselves and come to know Jesus for themselves. Um, An amazing look at that, a little 5% up from last year of additional gifts given uh, to the children and uh, over six and a half, about the same you gave for commission by the looks of it, so uh, pretty good, uh, six and a half thousand seems to be the right figure um, (laughs) for the morning. Uh, In financial support you're providing these children with, I think that's incredible. So that's based on the sponsorship numbers and the amount that goes per sponsor. Um, And then they all are, Um, uh, let's count how many, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 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 18? No, wait, I've done that wrong, haven't I? How many are up there? How many can we see? 18, that was right, that's good. Um, So, um, oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, Yeah, we can see all their little faces there, and they are mostly from Kenya, as you'll see, but there's a few scattered around in various other areas as well. And just a little bit of extra information upon the COVID-19 response I know many people will be interested to see. Um, Do take a moment to just kind of have a glance at that, but you'll see... um, where we've actually had to change a bit of the aid that we provide just in terms of 
being able to visit, obviously, in big gatherings have not been available in every country. So we have had to change things a little bit. Um, many of our projects have actually still been able to run. Many of them have been far more reliant on home visits, uh, hygiene kits, face masks, and, and various other things like that. So you'll see only 35% of the projects are open as normal at the moment. So first things first, before I do anything, I just wanted to say a huge thank you from everybody at Compassion, uh, from us to you, Hope Church. You are really transforming the lives of children across the world. I mean, if you imagine if I could bring up 18 children up here and stand them in front of you, uh, you know, think how many kids that would be, that you are changing those lives for the better and children that desperately needed it. So thank you so much. It's amazing. And give yourself a round of applause. I think, I think there's a lot there to celebrate. Yeah. Of course. And keep your hands warm as well. It's a double, double thing. Um, so, um, I actually, I, I didn't, I was going to um, find a neat spot in my preach, but I, I actually really felt a picture, I had a picture for you guys, and I'll just share that now just up top before I jump in. Uh, I hope that's all right. Um, didn't ask Chris's permission beforehand, but we'll just go for it. Um, I felt over the, uh, the last year, your church, in my mind, was represented by a Jenga tower. And if anybody has played Jenga, the whole idea is you're taking pieces Away, And as you take more pieces away, the tower becomes less and less uh, stable. And I just, I felt that God would say that for many of you, the church and, and perhaps Chris moreover and the, and the leadership perhaps felt that, that that is what it felt like, is that these pieces were being taken away and like, oh, it's going to fall, the church is going to go. Uh, but actually God would say that your church, my church, is not built with Jenga. It is built with super glue and concrete and bricks and I am the cornerstone of your church not silly pieces of wood that you're supposed to knock over anyway so I hope that's helpful um, just didn't have a neat spot to put that in so I'm just going to do it right away um, so on with the preach miracles of faith and compassion uh, it's an amazing passage I love the gospel of Mark I didn't used to I had to study for a GCSE and I can tell you that that takes all the fun out of it um, but I did I have had the joy of coming back to it and really exploring it a few times since um, and I want to start just by asking you a question have you ever watched a sequel or a remake that was a little bit worse than the original you ever done that <laughs> Not thinking of any film particularly, of course. <laughs> Have you, uh, just me? Or that you, feel like you feel like you watched the sequel? He's like, it's like the original, but it's just not got that. It's not quite as good. When I first got to the passage that I was reading this morning, I found that the first bit was the feeding of the 4,000. I was like, hold on a minute. This seems like the feeding of the 5,000, but it's clearly, it's like the sequel, but it's not quite as good because there's a 1,000 less people. Um, but we started exploring it, and clearly that's not the case, thank goodness. Um, but um, So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be exploring a few key bits of this to look at miracles, because Mark's gospel is actually the gospel that contains the most miracles of all of them, something you may have discovered already. If I repeat anything Chris has said, it's probably because you need to hear it. Um, I haven't checked, I don't know. Um, but um, the, Mark's gospel contains 20 accounts of miracles and healings, which is actually more than um, any other gospel, which you'd be interested to know. So this uh, passage I'm about to read contains two miracles um, and a few other things as well. So it's 
neatly kind of divvied up into a miracle, a revelation, a miracle, and another revelation. So we can break that up nicely into neat sections just for you. So what we're going to do, we're just going to jump in. I'm going to read through it. It's a fair amount, uh, but it's great. So we're going to take our time over. We're not going to fly through it apologetically. We're going to read it. And there's a name I have yet to read correctly, so forgive me when I get it wrong in about two minutes. So here we go. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. See, it's starting to sound like that sequel. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Um, When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciple picked up seven basketfuls um, of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and they went to the region of <laughs> Dalmathuna, Dalmanutha, that, that one. Um, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them and got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten... I haven't clicked on, I hope someone has. Um, uh, uh, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except one loaf that they had in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? No, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they answered. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, Bethsaida, there we go, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his eyes, hands on the eyes, hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. And Jesus and his disciples went on the villages to the Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. 
Well, there we go. I mean, there's, uh, there's a preach in every sentence sometimes with these Bible passages, but we're going to have to do loads of work here in the hour I've got to talk to you. Um, so let's crack on. Um, now, as I said to you earlier, as I kind of alluded to, uh, there's a miracle, a revelation, another miracle, and another revelation. Now, within that, there are some discussions and topics, and I am not going to be able to delve into all the intricacies and the the meaning and the connotations behind certain uh, phrases. And on those, I will just say, talk to Chris. Um, And then, but there is some really key things that I really want to jump into today. Now, it's sometimes with the Gospels, there is a a sort of discrepancy or a discussion or between scholars or theologians is, is this the same instance or a different one? So, but sometimes if you have a miracle that's in Luke and a miracle that's in Mark that are quite similar, you will have a discussion where, is this the same thing? Um, So there's a a couple of stories Jesus told and people are maybe unsure whether he's just telling the same thing twice or it's uh, reporting the same instance from a different point of view or that kind of thing. This one is not one of those things. This particular miracle of the 4,000 is a very different miracle to the 5,000. It's not just the same thing told from a different point of view and someone got the numbers wrong on one of the stories or something like that. And we know this for lots of reasons, but most of all, Jesus refers to the feeling of the 5,000. So he tells you that he, this is a thing he already did. He's not, so there's no confusion there. Um, when he goes and he says, um, do you not... Um, what is it? He says... Um, um, is he's talking about how many baskets were left over. Um, and he says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did you have? So he's literally referring to that time I did the other thing. So don't worry if you get that um, sort of mixed up, but this is definitely a different instance. Um, and he talks about um, a bunch of stuff there as well, which I won't go completely into at the moment. So... With the first miracle, there is a conversation, he does it, and then he's having a conversation with his disciples, which is a bit confusing, because he says, the disciples are talking about the fact they haven't got any bread, and then he, Jesus seems to get quite annoyed with them, for good reason. Um, he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Basically, Jesus is like, how have you not noticed this, this truth? Obviously, we can look at it in hindsight and study it and understand what he's talking about, but the disciples were completely clueless as to what he was talking about. And what he says is he guides them through the, the, uh, the 5,000 and the 4,000. And as he does this, he's very careful to note specific details, specifically how many baskets were left over after the miracle occurred. So... He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did you pick up? They said, 12. And then he said, when I broke up seven loaves for 4,000, how many baskets were left? Seven. And it, it seems at this point that Jesus was kind of saying, like, that was all the information. Like, come on. Come on, here we are. It's here. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, my child ran over to me crying not that long ago. And by that, I mean it happens every day. And I say something like, did you bump your head when you ran under the table? To which they reply, yes. And then you go, remember when I told you not to run under the table? Yes. And you kind of, you're not doing the other half, are you? You're like, surely you know this is what's happened. And needless to say, they do it again. I sort of want to say to them, 
do you still not understand? <laughs> if you run under the table, you are going to smash your head. Um, I feel like Jesus is getting similarly irritated uh, with them. And the reason is this. Now, the numbers here are significant. Maybe not to us, because we don't live in that culture, but certainly for the disciples who are around Jesus the whole time, they would have been very familiar with uh, the significance of the numbers that Jesus was talking about. Now, the number seven and the number 12 have biblical significance. Some of you may know that, some of you may not. I will try and give it to you as simply as possible, but ask Chris um, if, you, if I've left you hanging and you're, you want to know a bit more. But with the feeding of the 5,000, he was um, preaching primarily to a Jewish audience. That, that would have been the people who he was talking to at the time. And um, there were 12 tribes of Israel. So the fact that there were 12 baskets left over when he has been providing food and meeting the needs of mostly Jewish people is significant. There's something in that. It's saying that he is the way and the truth and the light and the provider for all the Jews. Miracle number two, 4,000. How many baskets were left over? Seven. Seven is the biblical number for completeness. And over all the earth, you see it in quite a few ways. Um, it's sort of, it also sometimes means sort of infinity, and it's sort of a perfect number. Uh, you hear it 70 times, seven times. How many times should you forgive your brother? Um, you, you hear it um, with other things as well. The number seven used to kind of say everything or sort of an exaggerated number. It doesn't literally mean seven. It just means everything. And in this instance, he was talking mostly to Gentiles. And by that, I mean anybody that wasn't a Jew. So between those two miracles, hopefully you're starting to make some connections now, he is, what he is saying is, I am the same thing for the Jews as I am for the Gentiles. I am here for everyone. I provide the needs of them, and I provide the needs for the Gentiles. And the fact that there were seven baskets left over, and the fact that he was preaching the other side of the river, that we see at the start of the story, he got in a boat, and he went to the other side, means that he is there for everyone. And he's literally crossed over to take his message to the world and large. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Good. Happy days. Um, I don't want to spend too, too much time, but I think it's essential that you get that because Jesus is saying to his disciples, do you still not see? They're just talking about the fact they haven't got any bread left over. And he's like, there's so much more to this than what you are seeing. And I don't want us to miss that very thing that Jesus is emphasizing to his disciples. Now, the next thing happens, or there's a, another thing kind of in there, um, which is about the Pharisees asking Jesus for a sign. And then Jesus sighs begrudgingly and says, why did this generation ask for a sign? Have we sometimes done that ourselves in the sense that you just think, oh, God, why don't you just come and show everybody who you are? Just come to Guildford. Just do something amazing in Guildford. Just, I don't know. <laughs> an amazing thing, whatever you'll think of, it's that. Uh, you know, whatever, just, just come down, and just, or you've got that mate that drives you insane because they just won't come to church, they won't listen to you. Like, oh, God, can you just, like, give him a slap around the, holy slap around the face and just shake him or her and say, come to your senses. Just get, do you know what I mean? Is it just me? You just get frustrated sometimes with God, and you just think, oh, man, if you could just do this thing, everyone would believe in you. You know, in a world where I can see a giant green man punch a giant alien and it look fairly realistic, it's, 
It's difficult to say whether a miracle or a wonder would have any effect on us in today's society. Because I think within 20 minutes we would explain it away. I was, you know, if you saw like this amazing miracle happen on YouTube or something and it was viral, you'd be like, ah, it can be faked. You'd move on, wouldn't you? You know, I think miracles are amazing things and God uses them and I have some, inter- I, I think I, I can help you understand why Jesus uses signs and wonders, but it is very rarely to never to convert people or to suddenly make them Christians. The reason Jesus does miracles, at least for the most part, is because he has compassion on people. He's meeting a need. You'll see in the passage earlier on, it says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Do you think every single one of those people was converted to Christianity or Judaism that very moment? Probably not. But they weren't hungry anymore. When Jesus performs a miracle, it is not to persuade people that he exists. Sometimes maybe we can think that that's what they're for. I truly am of the belief that Jesus performs signs and wonders to demonstrate a small amount of God's love to us and to the people we pray those things over. And with that in mind, I am going to take a moment in a moment to pause and pray for some people. But I'm going to do it in the context of this. In the second miracle, Jesus prays for a blind man. What happens the first time he does it? It doesn't actually kind of work, does it? Jesus has to pray for him twice. Have you ever prayed for something and it doesn't happen and then you give up on it? If even Jesus had to pray at least twice for a man to be healed, should we not do the same? Just think about that for a moment. Jesus, perfectly aligned and knows God's, you know, is God in man and all this amazing stuff. And he still had to ask God twice to heal somebody. Most famously, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Lord, take this cup from me. Did God take the cup from him, ultimately? No. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that um, he didn't know that that's what was going to happen and that he's not God and he didn't get it and he wasn't perfectly aligned with God's wishes. But ultimately, Jesus had to, I imagine, Jesus felt disappointed at a minimum. The fact he even asked tells us that he did not want this to happen. Jesus prayed for this blind man because he had compassion for him. And it didn't work immediately. He had to do it again. He had to persevere in prayer. And if Jesus has to do that, I think we should too. So, I'm going to ask us, can we just stand for a moment? I asked Chris if this would be all right. He said it would be all right. And I want you just to take a moment to think of what you would consider an unanswered prayer. I'm sure we all have them. If you don't, I need to speak to you because <laughs> I want to know what you're praying so I never have our answer prayers again. I'm just going to take maybe just a minute. You can do it. Uh, should we pray out or pray quietly? What do you think? What's the... I'm going to say, actually, let's just, let's just pray out. Let's declare that knowing not your will but mine, let's just lift our voices for whatever 
prayer is unanswered in your life right now. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's that guy that still hasn't come to church. Maybe it's that girl that still hasn't come to church. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a job thing. Maybe it's a lack of a job thing. Whatever it is, I'm going to give you just a minute just to give your best prayer and say, do this, Lord, in your name, but not my will, but yours. Off you go. Yeah, Lord Jesus, in your name. All those prayers, I know you hear them all. In your name. Amen. All right, let's sit back down. I hope, uh, and you know, if that makes absolutely no difference, uh, a lack of a miracle you have prayed does not make you less of a Christian. Okay? It doesn't make you less of anything. Uh, It's uh, God's will, not ours. And I know we find it really hard when these things don't happen. And I think there's a couple of great resources as well. God on Mute and How to Pray Both by Peter Gregg are great in terms of dealing with um, unanswered prayer. But um, beyond that, life group leader, Chris, anyone who you feel that you can trust and pray with. Remember, just one last point on that. Miracles are not about us. Um, They don't make us Christians and they don't make us more or less Christians. Remember that Jesus performed these miracles because he had compassion on those. And that doesn't mean he has less compassion on some things than others. Right, finally, um, so moving on from the blind one, we have our final revelation, which is a pretty major final revelation, and that is the very last bit where uh, it is acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, who do you say I am? And he says, I am the Messiah. He says, don't tell anyone about me. This is a pivotal moment in the narrative of this gospel. This is the act two before the main event. This is uh, Lord of the Rings, the two towers. This is Avengers Infinity Wars. This is the primer for the last bit of this book, which is the crucifixion and the resurrection, the thing that we hang our faith on, that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. But just before all that happens, it is acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. What an amazing moment let's not gloss over that like and then he said he was the messiah and then something else happened jesus declared well he doesn't declare he admits who he is by saying do not tell anybody else about me and i just think that's an amazing moment in the story of the gospel there's a lot of stuff that's happened up to mark 8 he's performed these miracles he's told everybody by doing miracles, that he is there for everyone and he is the way, the truth, and the life for the Gentiles and the Jews. And now on this moment, he says that he, he proclaims that he is the Messiah. And then from that point, he moves on and we get to the crucifixion story um, by the end of the book, which I'm sure you'll get to in the coming weeks. And as I said earlier, and it won't be a, a, a strange link, um, but I asked why Jesus kind of performs any miracle, really, and that is that he has compassion for us. And this is not the only time where it says Jesus had compassion, therefore he did something. In fact, many of the Gospels, in fact, Matthew's quite a good version for this. Sometimes it depends on the translation you read, but by and large, the story of Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, whenever they talk about Jesus performing a miracle, they almost always start with, Jesus had compassion, therefore he healed their sick, or therefore he did this, or therefore he did that. There is, the word compassion is used an awful lot as a precursor to a miracle happening. I don't think that is 
Uh, well, it's, it's not a fluke. It's not because they didn't have another word to put there. Um, and that leads me on to talking about compassion. Because I think that we as an organisation, we want to have compassion for others. And you are all doing that by you know, sponsoring a child. And, and, but it doesn't have to be that. You know, many of you show compassion in different ways. But the word compassion means to be stirred in your innermost being to do something and to help somebody. The most famous example um, in the parable of the Good Samaritan who was compelled to help this person that needed help. And we are incredibly blessed this morning, just as I draw uh, to a close of my bit, but actually we're going to be talking to Rahina, who has uh, previously sponsored Child. So um, I'll let her kind of introduce herself, and Chris is going to interview her in a moment. But for all of those that sponsor in here, or have sponsored, or are thinking about sponsoring, and we showed all those pictures of those children... This person that's coming to speak to us, Rahina, who's going to be here, is that child. Not now, obviously, but they needed a leg up, they needed help, they needed someone to show compassion to them. And she's got an amazing, amazing story to share. So we've just hand back over to Chris and, uh, and we'll hear from her. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Harry. Thanks for speaking to us through the book. So, um, yeah, as Toby's mentioned, Compassion is a wonderful charity, who a Christian charity who works with churches in, across all the nations in order to bring support to individuals and their families. And so um, it, let's welcome Rahina up, shall we? Give her a big round of applause as she, she comes up. There she is. Perfect timing. You'll have to keep going with a round of applause. <laughs> Wonderful. So, Rahina, um, so we're going to do five questions. Um, and Rahina's from Bolivia. She's here with her husband, Phil, and their uh, son, who is Sebastian. That's right. And Rahina, tell us, you know, what, what do you do um, to tell me a little bit more about your, your family and uh, how long you've lived in the UK? Morning. Um, I'm originally from Bolivia, Cochabamba. It's in the middle of Bolivia. I'm living in UK for around six years now. Um, I, I met my husband at church, Coniston Church, here. <laughs> and we have our service. Um, I work as a receptionist uh, at the university. Um, yeah, at the moment I'm in maternity leave, so trying to keep busy my baby. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Um, but we know that life hasn't always been like that for you. And um, so can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like um, for your family before you came to know uh, the organisation Compassion? Um, yes, uh, for me, still it's a bit sad to remember. I hope it's because this thing still pushed me to hold on Jesus more strongly. Um, when I born in a family of five, mom, dad, my big brother, my young sister, um, 
life wasn't easy in the way that many times we didn't have food to eat. Even if mom tried and that as well, it was difficult. So we used to go places to knock the door where the rich people live and say, can you give us some bread or clothes if you have? Or sometimes we just go to a restaurant and look in the bin because the leftovers we could eat, that was nice at that time because that's what we could do. And also... It was hard because we never had a house. We used to live in a small room, five of us, and then we didn't have bed. We used to sleep on the floor, and then we used to cover with the things we have. If if we didn't have anything, we just put all the clothes we have so we could be warm. It was a bit, well, it was hard at that time. But as a child, we, we have what we have. And then we couldn't say anything to our parents. It was hard. And also we had to hear from people. Go a bit more there because you're smelling. Are you a poor? Things like that as a child is not nice to hear. So it was hard in that things. Not having food. Not having a place where you can stay for long because my parents couldn't pay the rent. They said, you have to go away because you are not paying the rent. And then no no medical attention, no water to have a proper bath or go to dentist. Many things, if I had to say all of them. <laughs> Thank you. We really appreciate you coming today to share your story and um, so <coughs> compassion got involved in your family and that's is that because they started sponsoring one of your siblings and your yeah your sister so so someone started sponsoring through compassion your young sister so can you tell us what impact did that have on your sister but also yourself and the whole family um I would say compassion was a miracle for us, a big, big blessing from God, and then make us think that God didn't forget us. A lady, old lady, a very old, she saw us because we were changing houses. She said she saw us, and then she she thought, spoke with compassion. They said, "Compassion want to help your family." Because we, my parents heard everything people say, like you are poor, you smell, you are nothing. They didn't believe at first. And then they didn't take us to compassion. But the compassion director came back again at home and they said, we really want to help you. And then for us, that was the best. Because they weren't pretending, you know. Is something we were we didn't expect, but so it was a big impact in that way because at first they took my sister a sponsor. I didn't have an sponsor, but I had enjoyed the same things as my sister. I had the same privilege as my sister. I I went to school. We went to school. My sister graduated as a teacher. I graduated as a teacher. Um, my brother is a baker now, but we had things, uh, material to go to school. If we need books, 
compassion boat for us. If we need medical attention, compassion took us to bed. But this big thing, I would say, compassion gave us, my sister, my family, is God. We could meet Jesus because they talk us about Jesus. They told us Jesus loves us. They told us Jesus wants, he wants to be with us and help us. So that was the big, it was a big change because we even we got a place where they gave us a chance to have bath. We, they, we didn't hear that when they say you smell. But now because they were worried, they asked us, what do you need? What do you have? You need food, you need shoes. My best shoes I got from is, is compassion. I looked at, look after that shoes. How never I did. So yeah, it was a big, big, big thing for me. I think it's, it's really helpful for all of us to know there's many people in this room that all sponsor a child and it's great to hear that when we sponsor that child, it doesn't just impact themselves, but it impacts the whole family. And, you know, with medical support, with resources, with education. And so, yeah, thank you. And you, you started to say there that when Compassion came along, they spoke about Jesus. And so could you tell us, how did you come to know Jesus in your own life? I quite like... Uh, be interested in God's words. I was, I wanted, quest I, I found a book with many questions. I said, I need to answer these questions. Because at the end, they gave you a certificate. I said, I want this certificate. But then, with, I didn't know that doing that, God was working in me. And then, I, I had the feeling that I need more about him. I need more knowing him. I needed more. What is the Bible? I wanted more. For me, that was as a child. And then in compassion with all that, I started to help in Sunday school when I was 12. My teacher says, do you want to help us? So that was um, I said to Jesus, because my dad has very hard experience, and I just said, I don't have anything. My people doesn't like my family because we smell bad. But I pray you keep this heart, not hating people. Keep this heart following you. I don't want to think in the people what they said. If they said they make joke about us, please take that thought, take that what my my ears are hearing. I just want what you want for me. That that was my prayer for a long, long time. And then God were very kind, and then He called me, and I'm here now. <laughs> So my last question is, um, what would you say to people here today who already sponsor a child or perhaps are thinking about sponsoring a child? What would you, would, you, would you say to them? 
First, if you are sponsoring already, thank you very much for doing that. Because you are not just sponsoring that child and praying for that child. When you pray for that child, you are praying for the family. Whole family is being covered for God's grace. And that's really good. And I would say, when you send the letters, and if you don't receive what you wanted, just don't give up. Because I saw the children when I was young, how they excited are when they receive a letter. I probably know the answer what you want. But when they read, and they read you love them, you are thinking of them, or you are sharing your experience, they are very excited. I used to be jealous about them. But just keep doing. And you are praying now for that child. In the future, maybe it's going to be a pastor, a leader, doctor, a president. We don't know, but... You're praying for them. I will encourage and say, keep doing. If you are thinking to do it, you can do it. Because you will change no one life. Family, probably community. It's just God, how, if you give it opportunity to that child, God will do the job. No? God works and many lives can be changed for this. Let's give Rahina a big round of applause. Thank you so much. Um, stay, stay here for a second. Um, in, a, in a moment, we're going to worship again. So do, do start to come back up. Uh, but I just want to pray for Rahina. Before I do, um, so sponsorship. So in terms of sponsoring a child, um, we... As, as a church, each Christmas, actually, when we do our Christmas carol, we often take an offering, and that offering we give towards a survival unit. Uh, a child, a compassion survival unit is, uh, we have one in Kenya, we have like links in Kenya, and that is a place whereby people who give birth, the, the rates of kind of child mortality and nutrition and medication are really low for, for people in that part of the world. But when they're connected to a child survival unit, they get doctors, they get healthcare, they get education. The parents get given skills so they can get jobs and they can better themselves. And so as a church, we support that child survival unit and, and often the money we collect each Christmas we give to that. But individually, people across our church sponsor children in Kenya and um, that is a one-to-one -one support. And it's a, I think it's about £25 a month. 28, 28 pounds a month. And it's on the screen. There you go. And the £28 a month, what that provides then is for the child and their family to have access to education, to resources, to healthcare. And as we've heard from Marina, it impacts the whole family, not just even the individual child. And so if you do, me and Catherine, we have the joy, currently sponsoring two children. Uh, we had a third, but they've gone through the system. They graduated and uh, off working, which is amazing, you know. And um, we, we would like to encourage, you know, people in our church to, to do the same. And uh, we, you know, we have this specific link in Kenya. And so you can do that on the screen. If you want to sponsor a child, you can find out more by scanning the QR code or um, 
texting or also at the end of the meeting, Toby and perhaps Rahina are going to be just through here in the refreshments area. There's going to be a stand and you can talk to them. You can uh, ask them question, more questions. Is that, have I got that right? <laughs> hey. So, but for now, let me just, should we just pray? Is that okay? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for uh, for Rahina. Thank you for her family, her sister, Lord. Uh, thank you for for the for the individual who got in touch to to Compassion to sponsor um, sponsor her sister. And I thank you, Lord God, for the amazing impact that that's that has been seen, Lord God, in this in this family. And thank you, Lord God, how yeah, her sister has gone on and and uh, graduated, and and so has Rahina, and so has her brother. Thank you, Lord God, for the life chances you've given to this family through that one-to-one connection and Lord more than all of that though we thank you for how this family have received Jesus into their lives thank you Lord God for the impact that uh, being a Christian and loving you and knowing you has made across the globe as people have seen the compassion Lord God that you have on us and then shared that with others and I I do pray Lord God that for um, for all of us here today, Lord, I, I thank you. Help us to rejoice um, with these great stories that we can rejoice in. Help us, Lord, to have compassion for those around us here in Guildford and beyond. And thank you, Lord God, for the impact we're able to have. Lord, I pray, would you help us as a church family to, to write letters more regularly? You know, I, it's easy to... to the business of life to get in the way Lord actually help help us Lord God to to take the time to write to take the time to show our love and our care and support Lord thank you for reminding us today the impact that the personal one-to-one connection has and uh, thank you Lord God for the ultimately for your son Jesus who came to this earth who showed his kingdom the Messiah the King you are the Messiah thank you Lord God for how Peter saw that in that moment Thank you, Jesus, that we we can worship you. We love you. You are our king. You're our saviour. You're our Lord. You are the one who we follow. Help us to follow you, Lord Jesus, in all the ways of our life. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's, uh, Let's stand again, shall we? Let's worship. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.